This is the Hospitality Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration only on market scale. Take out that travel guide and let's explore. Hospitality is a people industry. You don't want to take away that human element. The best technology has to be a seamless technology. So we have to find ways to be even more creative on, particularly when it comes to energy, water, and waste. You hire the kind of employee that's going to act like an owner, that's going to have that initiative. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the show. We have a jam-packed show full of awesome content today that I cannot wait to get into, so let's dive in. Our first feature of the day is from our correspondent, Shelby Skirhawk, and it's titled, Weather Targeted Marketing Made Easy Like a Cold Cider on a Hot Day. And she's going to talk to Stuart Hill and Lamia Chowdhury of Orlando-based Evoke Advertising. They're going to talk about how weather-targeted marketing campaigns are actually helping restaurants and the service industry make smarter ad buys. It's going to be a really fascinating conversation. They sat down with us to share how weather impacts our eating behavior and how restaurants can use this knowledge to help better drive more authentic connections with their customers. It's going to be a really awesome conversation. Can't wait for that one. The second feature of the day comes from our correspondent, Sean Heath, and it's titled The Value of Local for Global Companies. And in it, he talks to Dr. Michael Terry from the Rosen College of Hospitality Management at the University of Central Florida. And they discuss the logistics of a hotel chain trying to manage a guest's experience, the value of embracing the local flavor, and the way in which travelers have evolved. So it's going to be a really good conversation just about that hotel industry that so many of you are involved in and working on a day-to-day basis. So lots of great content coming up. Up on this week's episode of the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast. You're not here to hear from me. You want to hear from the experts. So let's go first to that interview with Stuart Hill and Lamia Chowdhury of Orlando-based Evoke Advertising. This is Market Scale Hospitality. I'm Shelby Skirhawk. Okay, here's what I want to know. How does Grubhub always know what I'm thinking? Like when it's hot and I'm craving a smoothie, Grubhub pops up in my inbox. When I'm hungry, late Sunday afternoon, I can't get off the couch, Grubhub's friendly email subject line says, don't get up, we'll bring you the food you want. Even cold, dark winter evenings, Oh, Grubhub, you're always there with a suggestion for my very favorite cream-based soup that would feel great in my belly. Grubhub isn't psychic, though. They're probably just taking advantage of something called weather-targeted advertising, and it's being used to elicit greater sales from its email marketing list. Stuart Hill and Lamia Chowdhury know this well. They're with Orlando-based Evoke Advertising that's helping restaurants and the service industry make smarter ad buys with the use of weather-targeted marketing. They recently wrote a paper titled How Weather-Targeted Ads Are Changing the Restaurant Industry. They sat down with MarketScale Hospitality to share how weather impacts our eating behavior and how restaurants can use this knowledge to help drive better, more authentic connections with their customers. 
Yeah, so after I did my research, I found that people consumed more calories in the fall and the winter versus the spring and the summer. Um, so an average of 86 more calories were consumed in the colder months than the than the warmer months. Um, in the winter months, people are consuming more warmer dishes and baked goods and soups and, and anything hot to stay warm, pretty much. And in the summer months, eating a little bit lighter, eating water-based foods like like fruits and salads and, you know, nice cold treats like ice cream. Um, so it's kind of interesting. And, you know, I feel like a lot of people can benefit from this and cater to, you know, what people are eating in what months. Well, and Stuart, it, it makes sense. I mean, when you think about what you personally desire, when like kind of crave in the different seasons, it absolutely, the research stacks up. But I guess what surprises you about that firm connection between eating behavior and the weather? Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think it's it, when you see, when you think about what you want to eat yourself and those kind of conditions, it's pretty obvious that, you know, a hot sandwich or soup is going to be more appealing than a, a smoothie um, or an iced tea. I think what was interesting about our research was that we really saw that across the board that when, uh, when marketers took that into account, paid attention to, you know, different weather conditions and then not only served ads, you know, saying, hey, it's cold, come into our restaurant. It was more, hey, it's cold, come to our restaurant and get our cheese and broccoli soup, something that really gives them a reason and incentive to come in. So I think if you're a, a consumer, and it's not just online, by the way, this is a technology that can be applied to, you know, out of home. So digital billboards, uh, you know, digital um shelters, all that kind of stuff. We can we can layer in this this data for temperature or precipitation and everything. And then with or without an offer, it's still um, you know much more targeted. And I think it's really weather targeting is just part of a bigger picture of of marketing more customized content. You know, be more hyper targeting with the goal to you know having a message that's more relevant to your potential consumer or customer that's going to you know, it's going to drive you great results and we we gave some examples in the blog um, but across the board we did see that when when marketers really put some thought into this and got proactive in terms of their strategy that their ROI uh, was much much higher you do bring up that good point of the narrative that it creates that you're able to not only say it's hot, come get something cold, but you're able to kind of create a story around it and give some description. Why is that such an effective marketing technique versus some of the other targeted marketing? I think, you know, we're inundated with marketing messages. We all know this, uh, that, you know, every day there's hundreds and hundreds of messaging out there, whether it's online or offline. And, uh, you know, with varying degrees of, of relevance and, and customization in terms of what it means to you. So, you know, we're not quite at that Tom Cruise minority report yet, but there's definitely an element of, you know, is relevant to you because you're in that market and you know what the weather's like, and you know that that restaurant is only, you know, a mile and a half away from you. You realize that that ad has been very specifically created for you. And, uh, you know, if, if you are going to pay attention to, to advertising, you're going to do it because you feel like it's something that's delivering on what, what you're interested in and, and, and what you're thinking about. So, at the end of the day, if you can even increase your sales or your your metrics by 10, 20, you know, 25 percent, that that's a that that's a big difference. You know, when you're having to account for all your dollars and as a marketer um, or a, a business owner, you know, you're very aware that, that every dollar is very important in terms of how it affects your, your revenue. Well, speaking of revenue, there are specific examples of how this 
weather targeted marketing has afforded increases and solid numbers for for sales of restaurants. Can you give me some of those examples, either within the digital bulletin boards, kind of in in a more public space or personally with targeted email marketing? Yes, we included an an example with Sella Cider. And they did an ad a digital billboard ad at a um, at a bus shelter. So that was equipped with sensors. And um, every time the temperature would exceed a specific threshold, the ad would appear on the digital billboard. Their threshold was kind of the two degree, like two degrees above the national average. And if there was no rain in the forecast. So once this digital billboard was displayed, encouraging people to, you know, have a drink, you know, it's nice outside. And with this um, end result, they saw a 65% increase in year over year sales. Um, during the time that they ran this campaign. So that's, you know, that's a pretty big increase in sales. I, I like the spin pizza one because that one also incorporates, you know, some sort of added value. And I think, you know, as marketers, we're always looking at ways to give additional incentives for purchase without having to necessarily deep discount. It's more about um, making consumers feel like they're getting some sort of value at that at that point, uh, as opposed to some just blanket percentage off or BOGO or or something like that. So in that particular case, uh, you know, they they talked about their product, which sounds like a a great idea if the weather's not great, what better thing to do than to, you know, to get a pizza and and eat with your friends, whatever. Um, But then to have some sort of, you know, slight offer on there as well, just kind of was the extra incentive to, uh, to put it over the edge. And I think, you know, and and they saw great returns on their, on their, um, on their sales as well. You wrote about, um, with that spin pizza case study that there was the tenet or the, I guess, the measure of quote unquote crummy weather. So it kind of shows that it's not just a specific degree or a specific um, weather action, but it can be more emotive, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's a great point because, you know, if, if, if it's in the middle of winter in New Jersey and it's 55 degrees and sunny, that's a pretty nice day. Um, you know, and you probably go out with a walk with your dog, but if it's, it could be 60 degrees, but if it's windy and raining, then that that's what you might call a crummy day and you're better off, you know, staying in and, and, and eating pizza. So, um, there, there's a lot of different ways that you can, you can use the data, uh, over and above just a straight up temperature trigger. Essentially, how does this weather-targeted marketing work? Are you, do you want to look behind the curtain like the Wizard of Oz? Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, essentially, I mean, whatever whatever partner you work with for 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 weather-triggered technology, whatever digital partner or out-of-home um, uh, vendor, uh, they, they all have different degrees of technology. But essentially, it's 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 linked to some. Uh, you know, weather provider, as I mentioned, maybe Weatherbug or, or whomever it is, and they are able to, you know, gather weather uh, forecast data uh, and also current real-time uh, data, and that comes through some sort of, you know, API feed or RSI feed or whatever, RSL feed, um, and that then is part of the parameters that are set. So I think in the case that we, we talked about with the, the Stella Cider, I think it was it was only a, a few degrees above, but it was above average. So they looked at the average temperature for, I think that part, of the, I think it was in, that one was in England. So it's pretty easy to get people excited about the weather getting nice. And, you know, <laughs> and, and the minute it gets above 60 degrees there, people want to go outside and drink cold beer. So that was a very specific way. It wasn't just if it gets above 60 degrees, it was like, if it gets a few degrees above the average, like we're warmer than the rest of the country, come and have a cider out at the beer garden or whatever. So all that data is just available to you at the back end. And depending on how you do the media 
buy. Most of the time, that data is just part of the negotiation to, in terms of getting that. So maybe you pay a certain amount for your online impression, or maybe you pay a certain amount monthly for your digital billboard or your, uh, you know, your bus shelter digital unit, and then that data is part of your part of your overall negotiations. And they generally have all those links at the back end in terms of the technology. You probably didn't have to twist their arm too, too much to, to have a cider. To drink, to drink cider? No. <laughs> I, I don't know what these adult beverages you are that you speak of. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, either. I'm just, you know, this is just, uh, uh, this is work, not personal. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what does this mean overall for, for restaurants? I mean, it, it certainly is showing that there are more ways to, to reach your, your audience in just the traditional methods. But uh, with this type of technology, uh, one, actually, it brings up a point, though, this has been used in some other markets, perhaps, uh, but not necessarily for the restaurant industry, right? Well, obviously, we provided examples with, I think, do we have Dunkin' Donuts in here, perhaps, is one example. And um, Starbucks, Starbucks, you know, but when you think about marketers like that, those are big international companies that you know could probably create this type of technology themselves i think for a smaller owner or 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 co-op manager or franchisee or whatever in the restaurant business the way that the technology is now it's it's like everything else over time that it gets better and it gets cheaper the the cost of entry now in terms of your weekly uh your sorry or your monthly investment in the media side of it is is really come down so there's definitely an easier level of, of, of financial commitment to, to enter into this. And, you know, it really allows you to, as a restaurant, to really kind of try and achieve your objectives. So it's not just about saying, okay, if I put in, it's cold or it's hot, I might sell a little bit more products, have people more, more people walk in. But, uh, you know, if you have an annual goal to sell more smoothies or if your goal is to sell more uh, soups, but you know that they don't sell when it gets too cold or when it gets too hot, then you can incorporate this in so it's automated and, um, you know, it, you're not having to commit a spend to it unless the conditions are, literally the conditions, are what what you need them to be before people will come in and, and, and use that product. So you can set it up, you can automate it. And this applies to, you know, to online digital media, whether it's mobile or cross-device. It applies to social media. It applies to, you know, Google. And as we mentioned, it applies to out of home as well. So you can set these parameters and say, look, I'm, I know I need to sell more of this product, but I don't want to waste my time trying to plan it out ahead of time. I can automate it and then that messaging will be triggered appropriately based on, you know, however you set up those parameters. Well, and that's a great point. It's it's equalizing the the playing field basically where the large uh, the large companies may have already been using this. This is something that now restaurant franchisees and uh, and just small businesses can take advantage of what was maybe a few years ago more of a, a, a bleeding edge uh, use of geotargeting in email right. marketing. Now it's something that pretty much anybody in the retail industry or the restaurant industry can take advantage of. Exactly. Well, I appreciate all of you guys' time. And just so so we can kind of set the scene, what's, uh, what's the weather there in your neck of the woods? Um. Let me consult my uh, live feed here on my iPhone. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Seventy-seven degrees and sunny. So uh, you'd be uh, you'd be staying away from the hot soups, and you would be moving towards uh, some of those smoothies. Cold cider. Yes, cold cider. Just about the cold ciders. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. 
Thank you to Shelby Skirhawk for that look at how weather-targeted marketing campaigns really help restaurants and the service industry make smarter ad buys. It's a really interesting conversation. And thank you to Stuart Hill and Lamia Chowdhury of Orlando-based Evoke Advertising. Uh, thank you so much for joining the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast today for this week's episode. Coming up next is that conversation that our correspondent Sean Heath had with Dr. Michael Terry from the Rosen College of Hospitality Management at the University of Central Florida. They're going to talk about the logistics of a hotel chain trying to manage a guest's experience. And experience is a big word that we're hearing in a lot of different industries these days because people are looking to get out of the normal routine of some of the things that we've done in the past and start to craft experiences for their guests, for their clients, for their patrons, anybody that steps into uh, certain establishments. So he's going to talk about that. They're also going to talk about the value of embracing that local flavor. Every place has that local flair that can be brought into a hotel just to spice up the lobby or the rooms, something along those lines, and also just the ways that travelers have evolved. So all of those things are coming up next in this conversation with Dr. Michael Terry from the University of Central Florida. Welcome to Market Scale Hospitality. I'm your host, Sean Heath. Now, I have a bit of experience in my life in being a traveler, both a corporate business-based traveler and travel for pleasure. And the one thing that I always felt was important, or maybe I was just too lazy to do anything different, is regardless of why I was traveling, I always treated it the same. I always wanted to eat somewhere local. I always wanted to see what the locals did. I wasn't necessarily interested in the same restaurant chain that I could eat at at home. I wanted something different, and I wanted an experience from my journey. And I always thought that perhaps I was uh, an outlier when it came to travelers um, in that I really didn't separate professional and personal travel in my own mind. And it seems as if that trend might actually be a real thing. So maybe I'm not such an outlier after all. Today, I'm going to finally get an answer to that question that I've held for years, because it is my pleasure today to have a conversation with Dr. Michael Terry, Associate Instructor at the Rosen College of Hospitality Management at the University of Central Florida. Dr. Terry, Happy New Year. How are you today? Very well. Wonderful. Nice to talk with you. I appreciate it. Well, i I'm hoping and I'm very confident that you will give me some sort of enlightenment because I always thought, based on my conversations with other people in the industries that I was working in at the time, I always felt that the way I approached travel was a little odd, that it was a little different. And based on some articles that have come out recently, and as we all do a retrospective at the end of a year, the beginning of a new year, and we turn our vision forward... It seems like the industry is quite possibly looking backward to decide where they want to go in the future, almost like they're trying to retrace some footsteps. When you hear the word trend as it regards to the hospitality industry, what's the first thing that pops into your head? Brand. Uh, Brand pops into my head, uh, obviously technology. And this, you mentioned the word experience. It's the experience economy. Someone travels. They uh, use their five senses. They return, whether it's on the job or off the job. And somebody said, what have you been doing? Boom, I've been traveling. Well, tell me a little bit more about it. And they're eager to say that I saw, I heard, I touched, I tasted, I felt, et cetera, et cetera. 
and they want to talk about what they learned, education, because that's powerful today and, and uh, gives, you, gives you social respect. They want to hear about entertainment. Uh, they want to tell people about the aesthetics, aesthetics, and they also particularly want to tell them about the escapism that they experienced when they were out there in the market, in the hotel market, whether that be a $60 value or whether that be a $600 value. This is a, this is a method of discussion and communication that is very valuable today, whether it's a cocktail party or whether it's a work or whether it's justifying uh, why you did some work, uh, you're learning. It has always seemed to me that there are so many aspects when it comes to travel as a general rule, and those aspects seem to be so organized, so generic, so antiseptic. It, it you uh, you go to the airport, you stand in line, you get through check in, you wait to get loaded on the plane, you get where you get, you get off the plane, and then you do the same things over and over. And it seems to take the humanity or the the personal experience out of the actual experience. Now, I don't know. I've always thought that was just an, an attempt at control or to try and maintain uniformity. But what you just described, the ability to recount an adventure, to recount something as simple as a business trip to Sacramento, for example, that seems as if putting the personal back into travel is becoming not only um, something that we're seeing, it's something that we're expecting as travelers. The, the, the world changed when the, the Airbnbs of the world recognized which, what you're talking about. Uh, in the 80s and 90s, it was about cranking out chains, 100, 1,000, 2,000 hotels. Uh, therefore, no one's surprised when they get to the hotel. They know what the expectation is. And then it became much more so, I think a lot of it right after 2001, quite frankly, after 9-11, where people said, I want to go out and experience the world, and I don't want to stay at a cookie cutter. I want to have something different that I can first, again, learn myself and tell other people. Airbnb recognized that as well as other competitors of Airbnb. And then it became one of people in business world and in the personal world said, this is, this is incredible. I can do my business. I can visit places, I can learn. And the second part of that is, Sean, that the people in that local area, let's take Sacramento, it allows them to educate those who travel to Sacramento as to what they have there to offer, whether it's food, beverage, or adventures, or air rides, or water, or whatever the item happens to be that, that, that they're, they're pushing. So it's, it's really, a, it's a double. One is it's an experience for somebody that travels. And two is it says, geez, I like this area. Maybe I want to move here. Maybe I want to travel here more often because it has something different. I didn't realize the fish that was here. or I didn't realize the, the landscape that was here uh, or this mountains, ocean, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it, it's just become incredibly uh, important and valuable and uh, and socially interesting for travelers. Now, I do understand a corporate desire to maintain a, a sense of consistency or or an attempt at uniformity. But if you talk to the locals, they have consistency. They have uniformity in the things they do in their daily lives. They have access to Restaurant X that's been around for 50 years and run by the same family and 
To them, consistency means on Tuesdays at lunch, we go eat at Norma's or whatever the name of the restaurant is. And so when the corporate um, entities attempt to assimilate or bring in some local, quote unquote, flavor into their properties, it, it's hit or miss. I think sometimes I think you can, in an attempt to create a, a sense of immersion for your guests, you actually insulate them from the opportunity to actually experience immersion that you could facilitate if instead of trying to control every aspect of their visit, you were to help them experience the environment in which your property exists. Yeah, that's interesting. You use the term manage the experience because we learn as hoteliers, and I spent 20 years with the Hilton as general manager and with the Intercontinental Group uh, and independent uh, lifestyle hotels when they weren't so popular in the early 2000s as they became more popular. And we talked about managing the moments, the moments of truth that every get in a real world, we'd love to manage every moment that the guest goes through so that there's so that there's no chance of screw up as they move through the through the hotel experience. But at the same time, we want them to understand local and uh, and take home a souvenir, uh, whether it's uh, whether it's in their memory or, or whether it's a physical souvenir and uh, get a good taste so that they come back another time. And so as a lifestyle boutique hotel owner, which of course that's growing much faster than the chains are these days, percentage wise, they want it to look natural, but at the same time, they want to move you in the right direction. They want to educate you as a guest and they want to make sure that it is a, a great experience that is different uh, and you're going to re- remember that. And, you know, there's a lot of psycholo- psychology in hotel schools and in hotel companies about the value of how do you create something that's so different that people remember when they when they walk away. One thing that I always feel that that many large chains miss the boat on is if you facilitate an experience for your guest that is different and is an outlier, is something new or innovative, and you give them that experience as a chain, there is a little um, a little seed that you planted in that customer's existence. That lets them know, well, you know what? When we went to Denver and we stayed at Hotel Chain X, the concierge pointed out this little restaurant down the street, or they pointed out this museum that has tours on Wednesdays, and that was really great. I'm flying to Providence next week. I wonder if Hotel X's property in Providence can help me do the same thing. And so in relinquishing a little bit of the control of the customer's location while they're in the city and allowing and facilitating them to experience a restaurant or a museum or a music festival or an art gallery, you in you build a much 
stronger relationship, I think, because the relationship is based on that emotional experience, and it's not based on the fact that, yes, you brought out my eggs, they were cooked properly, and that toast wasn't burned in when I ate breakfast in your restaurant, as opposed to going down the street to eat at the little, you know, uh, southern uh, breakfast restaurant that you recommended to me, even though you didn't earn the money from the sales of the food to me because I went out to that restaurant, you will earn much more money from me moving down the road because you get what is important to me as a guest. Sure. And, and, and in fact, a couple of different things. One is that hotels of that style you're talking about or of that thinking, let's put that mentality, they collaborate with local entertainment uh, experiences, as they say, mountain water, this, that, that these are companies that don't belong to the hotel as such. But at the same time, it um, they want to make sure the guest has a good experience, water sports and so forth. And so they will uh, collaborate in an arm's length transaction, that one they can count on so that the guest does have that, that great experience. I, I wanted to touch on something here that uh, not too many people probably hear this term called soft brand, and it's kind of related, unrelated to this conversation. The large companies, in particular Marriott, uh, being the largest in the world, and many people would suggest the best company in the world, hotel company, lodging company, that uh, they started to get into a new division called their autograph collection, and their autograph collection is... None of these properties, we call them properties, none of these hotels have a Marriott name on them. They are one-off boutique lifestyle hotels, and Marriott has hundreds of these available. And so Marriott will negotiate a relationship with, you know, Sean's Hotel that they know is of a certain level that has a lot of interesting experiences. And then if you stay, then when you dial into the Marriott, you know, directory to see what hotels you might want to stay, there's a whole division there called the Autograph Collection. This is a soft brand they have. So do every other major chain have a soft brand. And so that you can pull up, instead of pulling up the Marriott, the Courtyard Marriott, the whatever Marriott, is that you can pull up this other division called soft brand. And, and that is an attempt, in addition to trying to create a little bit better image at their cookie cutters, so to speak, that uh, you have the opportunity to dial into Marriott and, and have a worldwide different types of experiences. So kind of a related, unrelated answer to your question. Well, it has been fascinating uh, to, to have a few minutes of your time. I really do appreciate you taking time today. And I look forward to having another opportunity to have a conversation with you as we get a little further into 2019 and as the rest of us catch up with the trends that you already know are going to happen. I'm going to re be really interested to see if we can get in the next six months to where you were six months ago as you looked forward and saw all the things that are going to happen, but we don't realize they're going to happen. So I'm really looking forward to having another conversation with you. And thank you so much for taking the time today. Today, I've had a conversation with Dr. Michael Terry, the Associate Instructor at Rosen College of Hospitality Management for the University of Central Florida. Dr. Terry, thank you so much. Happy New Year, and I really appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. Thank you very much.
Thank you to correspondent Sean Heath and to Dr. Michael Terry from the Rosen College of Hospitality Management at the University of Central Florida for that book at the hotel industry. Really enjoyed that look at how global hotel chains are really going more local, looking to bring in that local flair into their hotel chains. So I really like that concept. That is all we have time for on this week's episode of the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. As always, we have more content just like this over at marketscale.com. If you go there, hit the Industries tab and then find the Hospitality Industry. There you can find all of our podcasts, our written content. All of that is updated on a daily basis. Also, we have 14 industry verticals that we keep updated on a regular basis doing podcasts and written content just like this. So if you're interested in other industries outside of the hospitality industry, let's say transportation or retail or building management, all of those have their own verticals with its own tailored content just for that industry. So you can go there and find a lot more content just like that as well. We do thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Hospitality Podcast. But until then, I've been your host, Tyler Kern. Thank you for listening.